marketeers? Are they messing with demand or are they just making ads? Let's hear it from Jem. I'm Francesco. And I'm Dalen. And this is Work It. Hello. Welcome, Jem. Hello. Great to be on the show. Do you call it a show? We call it a show. It okay. is a show. Great yeah, to be on a show. Sure. It can be. Thanks anything. for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. So, quick intro. Today we have on Jem, who works in marketing at a global consumer goods company. Jem, why don't you start off with a quick introduction about yourself and your job? Okay. Um, I work in marketing, as you said. Uh, I've been working here for a long time. And, uh, you know, how long has it been? It's since 2008. So that's what now? A few years, 14, 13 years, something like that. And uh, all, all in the same role or all in the same company? In the same company. Same company. In all the right. same company. There are a few marketing roles in the company. I've done like local roles and global roles. I've been in many categories, uh, mostly personal care. Things like soap, shampoo, toothpaste. Now I'm doing uh, skincare. And uh, the company also has stuff like foods and ice cream, which is fun, which I've also done. So, and and now I'm doing a global role, which is quite different from a local role the way the way we do it in this company. So yeah, I've I've had a spread at least, but all in the same company. Great, that's uh, that's amazing. So we know kind of what you do. Tell us a little bit more about yourself before we dive into the questions. Right. Um, so I'm originally from the Philippines. I'm Filipino. Ooh. I grew up in uh, Manila. And uh, I've been living in Singapore for the past five years. What do I enjoy doing? Uh, you know, the usual stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Having a drink, going the usual out marketer with friends, stuff. the usual marketer stuff. I don't know. <laughs> so that's me. So let's go back to the, to the global role. Uh-huh. Is it global in the sense of APAC or is it global in the sense of worldwide? So what we and do how is... is different compared to what you were doing earlier? What we do is every brand or category has sort of a few key markets based on where we see the opportunities are business-wise and where our current business is. So as a global sort of marketeer, uh, what happens is you kind of focus on some key geographies depending on the business. So for my current business now, I'm focusing on Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. But I, I've, been in, I've been in global roles where it was about India or Brazil. And, and we have offices in a few cities, uh, including Singapore, yeah, we, we used to have these things like regional teams, but we've kind of cut that out. So now it's just sort of global, but you have some focus areas. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you, you've been working here around 13 years and originally in the Philippines and then Singapore. Did you start your job in the Philippines and move here with work? Yeah, that's what, that's what happened. So um, I was working for this company eight years in, in Manila, and then I quit my job for a year to try other things. I went into sort of the Singtel of the Philippines, a company called Globe. I spent like a very short amount of time, two months in that company just to see what it's like. You know, I didn't really like it so much. But so I joined another company, which was also consumer goods for a few months, like a local company. Uh, they were doing food. I, I had a kind of a weird job there around uh, integrating a, a new acquisition they've had. Mm-hmm. So they've they've acquired, well, their holding company acquired a, long-time competitor 
And my job was part of the team integrating that business into the into the company. And then I, I came back to Unilever, which is, you know, the, the longtime company I've been in, in a global role in Singapore. That was five years ago. So I've, I've, I've been doing sort of a global role for only five years. But most of my career is like a local kind of person. So you tried to jump out of marketing for a while and then... Decided well, to head back. I was 29 and I was thinking before I'm 30, maybe I should try another company, another organization to see how it's like, try another thing, you know. But then I found that it was mostly the same. So I was like, mm. nah, let's, I'm just going <laughs> to go back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what happened. So then is the love with the marketing itself or is the love with the company? No, I think... I of think, course, the company. I mean, we're not like, going to say anything. But. The company... It has a it has a quite a unique kind of culture. You know, mm. it's a big global conglomerate, I guess it is. But the culture is very casual, very light. You can talk to anyone. It's not a very hierarchical kind of company. And you know, we wear like t-shirts and stuff, which is very important to me. Like, I don't think I can work for a business where uh, I have to wear like dress shirts and like slacks, dress shoes to work. I don't think I can do that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I do like the culture in this company, and that's why I've come back, and that's why I've, I stay. Yeah, but you know, there are other companies with that sort of culture nowadays too. I think it's become more uh, common. Yeah, I think especially with the move to remote work for a lot of people. Oh yeah, the, the office dress codes and those hierarchies are less important now than they've ever been. Yeah, for sure. Now we're wearing like boxers to work. <laughs> I'm still wearing a suit because still I'm still a professional, but. <laughs> You put on a suit, right? Only at the just, top. Just the top, half. the top half. Yeah, yeah. I get. I, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So it's for the love of. I guess it's. It fits my lifestyle. It fits what I like to do. You know. But I've never tried other things. I haven't really. I spent a year, kind of trying, but that's not a long time. So, I can't really compare with any other jobs I could have had. But did you study uh, to become a marketer? Mm. Is there what you know? Not at all. My background, my university background was in economics. Okay. And uh, I remember having a, having a requirement of a, sort of a job experience during university. You know, they require like 100, 150 hours, just try out corporate world. At the time, uh, I was thinking of becoming a university professor and like researcher. And I've already started applying to my university as a researcher and doing some research work. One of the professors uh, said that I should I should take in a few hours of corporate just to see what it's like. So I stumbled upon this company because I was looking for a company called uh, Unilab. And I misread the address and I ended up at this company called Unilever. Which is a very similar name, to be <laughs> honest. Similar, yeah. I walked up to the receptionist and I was like, could you point me to the HR department? And then the, there was a girl there picking up a package uh, from HR at the reception. And she was like, I'm from HR. And I was like, oh, I want to uh, get a job uh, here at, uh, what do you call this place? I guess it's not Unilab, right? And she was like, yeah, it's Unilever. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then she was like, you want, you want me to interview you right now? And I was like, sure, yeah, why not? So she interviewed me, and then she called. That was it. Then after a few days, I, I heard back for another interview and so on, and I got an internship, and I was thinking, I'll spend 100 hours, and then, you know, I didn't want to be in the corporate world. I thought that was a bit selling out. 
So in, in which way? I don't know. When you're in university, you feel like you're doing something noble. Like it's, uh, you know, you're preparing the next generation. You're uh, doing research about like social science and all this stuff, and you feel like that's 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 a great noble kind of purposeful job. And and you have this thing where a corporate is only for uh, making money. Those guys are just there to make money, you know. So so I came into this company thinking. Oh, yeah, I'll do 100 hours and I'll go back to my noble career of being a research assistant at that university. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but I, had, I had a lot of fun and, and it was like an eight, eight months internship and I had a lot of fun and I thought the culture was great. Also, I found out what people are getting paid and I was like, <laughs> wow, really? This is how much you get paid? And, I was, and I, I've already seen how much my university pay would have been, you know, so I was thinking like, damn your noble soul just yeah was thrown out of the window (laughs) yeah i was like damn all right yeah i mean (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's how it went that's how i i bumped into this company so quick question before we move on yeah Uh, you mentioned you studied economics and then kind of stumbled into marketing Mm -hmm. did uh study of economics help you in any way do you feel it was useful for you pursuit of marketing at least yeah i i guess so a social science background does help you sort of understand uh, how consumers' minds work. But I would say that economics simplifies it a lot. There's a lot of psychological stuff about how humans think and what humans believe and how humans behave that economics really doesn't account so well for, especially like macro-level economics. Uh, so it, it helps uh, with sort of a framework, but... There's a lot more to getting someone to buy something. That's I didn't I didn't expect it to be so complicated. When you're studying economics, they just say if you bring up the price, they will buy less. If you bring down the price, <laughs> they will buy more. And uh, if you have more demand, then you can bring up the price. You know, and that sort of simplistic thing. And I remember meeting uh, one of my professors a, a few years after I started the, my career, and he asked. So what are you doing now? You you, uh, you didn't take up the university offer, and I said I'm in marketing, and he he frowned upon it quite a lot. He was thinking, oh, the, the, and this was a long time, very prestigious kind of economics uh, professor. Uh, he said, uh, oh, marketeers, the people who mess with the demand, and that's why <laughs> economics doesn't work so well because you guys create like fake demand. <laughs> You guys had valuables. And I was like, like all right, chill out a bit, dude. (laughs) We're just making ads. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, it helps a bit, but, you know, not a lot, to be honest. Yeah, I guess probably behavioral economics might have been uh, more more adept for this, but okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I think that's that's been cool. I think it's it's very cool that you kind of stumbled into it, and uh, it seems like it's been a long-time career for you. Yeah, I I guess uh, that happens for a lot of people where you stumble into something and you end up liking it and if you're open enough to uh if you're not so stubborn about you know uh, your plan for your life then then you kind of take it up and before you know it it's been like 10 years fair enough so tell us a bit more about the kind of work that you started off doing and you know what kind of hooked you to to at least stay so long uh, and eventually move from the local roles into the global roles so i would say a marketer's career i mean you do climb up the ladder from like an assistant brand manager to a brand manager to a brand director and so on but it doesn't really change that much from when you start 
it, it would be all about you know getting consumers to to act a certain way or behave a certain way uh, and and choose certain things and you know it's about looking at what do consumers think and feel right now and how does that lead to the choices they make uh, based on like choices they make in their lives that you know they would need products for and and what can we tell them and change their mind and their feelings a bit about this so that they would end up doing something else that makes them want to use our products right so you know for example it could be as simple as people don't buy enough toothbrushes because they don't replace their toothbrush in the right time like some people can go on for years with the same toothbrush (laughs) Uh, and you know you you kind of figure out why they do this there must be a reason you know they don't believe that germs accumulate on the toothbrush they don't believe that as long as there's still bristles on them they believe it's cleaning their teeth and you kind of just tell them no dude it doesn't work like that you're you're not doing uh, something nice for your teeth here and and you hope they change their minds and they buy more toothbrushes and that helps your business but that also helps them right you, you help consumers they 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 buy your stuff and your business grows uh, so you kind of just do that from when you start to even very senior levels in, in marketing, it's still you, you still will talk all about what consumers do, why they do this, what can we say to them to make them do something else that's better for them and better for us. And yeah, so it's been like that for me for the past like 13, 14 years. Um, and uh, I guess from a local and a global role, it also doesn't change much. In the, in the global role, you're doing it for a few markets and so you have to kind of average those the needs in those markets or the situation in those markets and kind of have a scaled up solution that works in many countries and that you will you'll save kind of money and time as a company you know you don't have to make five ads for five countries you have to make like one or two that would cover all the needs of these markets but it's kind of the same logic that you're applying so i would say marketing as a career can be very stable from a disciplined day-to-day kind of Thing. I don't feel like I'm doing something very different from 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jim, I have a question, which is on the consumer goods point of view. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned that you have a lot of feedback that you need to use from the customers to try to understand what they want. Mm-hmm. To me, that sounds a lot like you're trying to actually change a habit of a person. Yeah. Rather than changing, mm-hmm. rather than trying to explain them why your specific product is better than your competitor yep. ones, right? So how do you make sure that you know, you tell them it's good that you need to brush your teeth every three months, but how do you make sure that you're they're buying your toothbrush and not someone else's? Well, two things. One is if they feel like your brand, your advertising understands their needs, then you'd be the top of mind brand. How, how do you do that? So, uh, how do you get this sort of feedback from people? And oh, how do you understand what they really want versus a, what they... There's a ton of research that goes into into that uh, quantitative, qualitative kind of research. And there's a lot of con- time we spend with consumers, not even talking about how much they like our products or, or you know, what kind of products they like, but just talking about their lives. You know, I've spent like, I don't know how many hours in my whole career just having uh, one hour sessions with consumers and, and talking about their lives. Uh, and then you zoom into, in that conversation, you would zoom into certain things that your business is about. So if you're doing toothpaste, then you would zoom into, tell me what your uh, personal hygiene stuff is like. If you're 
if you're let's say selling like a ice cream then you would say how does do you eat ice cream what, what when do you eat it and what kind of thing does it do for you uh, and we spend like hours doing this and we spend a lot of money also uh, on research so yeah that's a big part of it I would love that like I like the interactive nature of, of a work like that I guess so like that. yeah it's one of it's one of the things I enjoy about the job also I think that in consumer goods a lot of products are very similar like your competitor products would be very similar to uh, your products their technology they you know you would have similar technology and where actually uh, where actually you would win is if you understood the consumers better understanding the consumers and you know, forming those habits and, and learning about them versus your competitors. Now, is there something that was kind of completely non-intuitive or shocking that you discovered oh, through the course of your work? There's very many people uh, who do very many weird things, <laughs> I would say. Uh, for the most part, people are similar. One, one surprising thing that I, I didn't think uh, was you, you can test us if you want to as well. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. How, how okay, weird is this group? We can, yeah. we can go and get into that. But one weird thing I've noticed is that people from different countries actually have very similar views and very similar sort of life experiences. You would think that, you know, someone who's like from India or the Philippines or Indonesia would have very different things in their mind. But what I've realized is that People are much the same. Yeah. I used to work in a, on a brand called Close Up, which is a toothpaste brand all about... Uh, we, we, we have a lot of stories about romantic stuff, you know, people, people kissing and kind of a couple kind of stories and fits well with the brand. And we say, we'll give you fresh breath and, and so you can uh, have your thing with your special someone <laughs> or whatever, right? And when I was in the global role, Different brand managers from different countries would come up to me and say, you know, the thing in my country is we love stories where people kiss in the rain. It's just a unique Bangladeshi thing, you know. And someone from Brazil would say the same thing. And someone from the Philippines would say the same thing, you know. And, and, and they keep telling me, you global guys, you should uh, try to understand how unique our culture is so that uh, you can come up with stories in your ads that are, you know, that would work in my country, right? And I remember having a conference where, where people came over from different countries, uh, different brand managers. And then I told them that you guys have told me the exact same thing, all seven of you. <laughs> you know? So one surprising thing is there are very many similarities across cultures and um, where, where differences are is actually on affluence. Like someone with the same level of affluence, but in a different country, you'd have more things in common with that person than your own country people who are of a different sort of level of affluence. And it's very surpri- that was very surprising to me. Yeah, I'm also very surprised just hearing about this because I always assume that, you know, knowing that there are so many marketing departments that are, their work is solely based on where they're based, that I would have assumed that everybody has different, vastly different views of, on how things work. But yeah, yeah, hearing that we all have commonalities is, yeah. It's yeah. At, at, at the same time, there, there's some weirdness also, 
Is, I've encountered a common lot of weird, weird stories. Yeah. Common weirdness, yes, but there are some people who I've talked, some consumers I've talked to who are really just doing weird stuff, um, <laughs> putting their toothbrush inside the refrigerator, that sort of thing. And um, I, I was telling you for uh, just a few minutes ago about uh, <laughs> this story that uh, I came across in Indonesia where, uh, so I work in skincare right now, and uh, we were talking to people about the proxies they use uh like different kind of skincare hacks they they get into and some people say oh proxies or skincare hacks you mean yeah like um, kind of like homemade homemade kind of like solutions you know like not like skincare products but what do you do to sort of take care of your skin without using products uh Mm -hmm. and people say oh I, i put ice cubes on my face and there's this whole thing about putting vegetables under your eyes um, and then there's this one lady who said very confidently that uh, once a month she collects her menstrual blood with a menstrual cup and that she puts it on her face because she's heard that blood is good for your, your own blood is good for your face. And, you know, she said, oh, well, I figured that monthly I have a recurring supply of blood. And so she does that. And the look of everyone in the room was like so shocked. We were just like trying to keep a straight face. <laughs> yeah. So there are many very weird things that I've encountered people, uh, people's stories about uh, skincare, oral care, or that sort of stuff. At this point, I think I'd invite our listeners to, to share if they've ever heard of any of these before or if they've ever tried any of them before. I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> insert listeners here (laughs) (laughs) okay cool but yeah jam you discussed a while ago um i don't know maybe a month back we were having a discussion that it's similar to this one it's not really on habits um, but it's more on trying to change the products that you guys are doing Mm -hmm. and creating and there was something that you mentioned about this chemical flavors chemical flavors yeah that you have oh you can create any sort of flavor that you would think of Oh yeah, yeah. I I do work with uh, I I worked on toothpaste, and toothpaste has a lot to do with flavors, and we develop products and mixes that are interesting or whatever. Uh, And and we work with companies called flavor houses, where their specialty is all about you know getting to getting things to taste a certain way. And what I've realized working with flavors is there's a lot you can do to make something taste like a thing that it's not uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I was very a lot of these flavor houses would come to us and say we have an idea for like a weird kind of toothpaste like uh, mala toothpaste you know and and there's just a lot of weirdness in that you never see these things out in the market it, to be honest like toothpaste brands have uh, very standard sort of flavors but in in the back offices there's this a lot of conversation around weird flavors that I thought was a fun thing to have in, in oral care that developing products like that. Yeah. That's what, that's what I wanted to get into by, by asking that question. It was, are we still the same also in terms of flavor? Like does everybody commonly accept at the end of the day that mint or spearmint is the one that you want to go for, even though you spend so much money in trying to, in trying to make the perfect durian yeah. toothpaste, you know? Yeah, for sure. People are very accustomed to, mint toothpastes uh i guess it goes with the whole fresh breath thing right but love 
love yeah love relationships couples that sort of thing uh but yeah but you'd never know that actually there's a lot of these we call them a uh, bouquet notes you know like um character to a flavor right, right, right. there there would like be it's like time. fragrances you know so there would be a base flavor which is like menthol mint that sort of thing and and that's what we taste mostly but when you look at uh, what goes into that flavor you'll you'll see things like aniseed or you'll see things like vanilla and you'll see very like fruit fruity flavors that you just don't you can't really put your your tongue on it like you don't know what that is especially when you blend it all up in a mix uh, so it's quite surprising to me when I see what's really in those flavors and it's quite complex it's just that we don't notice them so these are uh, alternate flavors and kind of exotic toothpastes do they affect the cleaning ability at all or do you think it's more just a kind of a psychological thing that we as consumers have that we equate as Fra said mint with toothpaste mm. the menthol mintiness with the fresh breath do you yeah do you think that's what it is or? i think a lot of it is in your mind to be honest there's a lot of cleaning antibacterial toothpaste that you would never think is really seriously cleaning your mouth just because they taste they taste very candy-like or they taste very sweet to you. So you feel like, oh, mm. this is just like a fun toothpaste. But when you look into what's actually in there, there's some serious stuff that cleans your mouth. And there are also toothpaste that taste very medicinal and so you think it's good for you. But when you look in there, there's nothing in it but just, you know, silica or just like abrasives to sort of clean your teeth and that's all. So yeah, a lot of it is in people's yeah. minds. It, we're humans are just not very good at sort of judging what's in stuff based on <laughs> what they smell or taste you know that's just not how we work so i want to kind of explore this track a little bit more yeah uh based on what you've been saying so you know you primarily work in marketing campaigns brands building those messages and stories out but do you as a as a marketer have any input into the product itself in terms of features functions or even the design and packaging. Yeah, uh, at my company at least, marketeers are at the center of the action. Projects are usually led by marketeers. And because it's a very consumer-oriented company, then marketeers get a lot of say because I guess we're, we're, we're the ones who are supposed to be bringing in the consumer voice into what the company does. And there's like company operations and there's like uh, R&D departments and there's like... Uh, people who who take care of relationship with uh, retailers and all that stuff. But at least my company, we put a lot of importance to consumers because at the end of the day, they're the ones buying the products and using the products. And so we do input a lot. I, I, I would say input is even like a understatement. We do, marketeers do get a lot of say. Uh, you just have to say, well, well, consumers are thinking this way and so we have to design our products this way. And everyone in the whole company would understand that point of view, you know? But there's also a lot of things that consumers can't tell you. Like, you, you, know, you always hear people say, before Apple introduced the iPhone, no one knew they needed like a smartphone. Right. And if you ask consumers what they needed, none of them would say, well, I need a thing that has, you know, the whole computing power of NASA in the 1980s <laughs> in my pocket so that I could uh, have a calculator handy or Google <laughs> Google some useless shit I don't know about. So, so uh, 
So there are things that consumers can tell you, and there are things that cons- marketeers also can't tell you, and uh, there are businesses that are built on technologies discovered in labs where a marketeer doesn't work, and then those technologies were then presented to marketeers, and then they went, uh, well, I have a way to sell this stuff. <laughs> so, so yeah, both ways, I guess, now. Sure. What's the line between, hey, I need something, and you need to figure out how to make it and how to sell it to people, mm. versus, hey, this is not feasible at all? Like, you're, you're asking for something that we're not able to produce or we're not willing to invest the money to produce that. Well, okay. First of all, I think... Given enough time and resources, a company can design anything. But, you know, we, we won't have all the money and time in the world. We have the joke that sometimes in my company, <laughs> they ask us to produce a flying car <laughs> from the marketing department. And then you start to put a bit of hurdles in between and say, like, hey, that's not really realistic. So I mean, that, that's the background of the of the question. Like, does it happen in your, in your yeah, field as well sometimes? It does. But, you know, if I were you, the way I would answer that is, yeah, I could design the flying car if you gave me, like, I don't know, 2,000 years to work on. <laughs> you know, so so it, it, it is possible right, to, right, right. to do anything. It's just the realities of business. When do you need this thing? And at what cost do you need this to be at? kind of factors in and you know R&D departments are not made up of wizards is one unfortunate thing <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah so I would say 50% of ideas remain ideas because we don't have the technology to do it at a certain cost that that would be consumer friendly and that goes for not just consumer goods you know that goes for a lot of things I think yeah thanks for sharing yeah Thanks, Jim. Uh, I want to play a little game. Let's play a little game then. All right. So the little game is we need to do something to market our, our podcast. Okay. okay we yeah, need to yeah, lay yeah. it out there. And one of the, the ideas that we had is that we wanted to have some face masks. Face masks? With work it on the side, right? Oh, written okay. on top of it. Okay. Let's say I'm, I'm your customer, right? And yeah. I come to you and I say, okay, I want to do this. We want to do this as, as a podcast team. How, how do we start? Where do we start? Can you help us? What will you do? Oh. And if you can, can you break it down in, let's say, how would your days look like or your weeks, however, however you want to put it, how will they look like in terms of trying to bring this to, to life? Oh, uh, that sounds like a very easy thing, though. We just print something on uh, face masks. <laughs> But, um, okay, there's a lot of, uh, I think a lot of marketeers overcomplicate stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, would that work as well? You know, that's that's kind of the question as well. Would that work? Free consultation, Nelly. Yeah, tell. I don't know if that would work. Off your friends without telling me you're reaching off your friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who are you selling the podcast to? I guess is the first question I would ask is, who who are you trying to who are we trying to convince about your podcast? So we changed the word "convince" to the word "hook." Hook up. <laughs> <laughs> who are we trying like, to hook up we're, with? We're here. trying to fish the youngsters. So everybody who is in, let's say, from, from 20 years old to 35 or let's say young professionals slash uh, fresh grads. I guess. So, who are trying to understand a bit more about the, you know, the, the job world out there. I guess the second question is, uh, what do these people look at and spend time on? I don't think they spend time looking at face masks of other people. Uh, Aren't you forced to do that, though? No, I, <laughs> I try to avoid it. I'm just kidding. Getting, uh, but, uh, but yeah, one thing you would ask yourself is, um, 
how do these people decide what to spend time on? Are they going to play a video game today or spend time on podcasts? And then if, if, the, if for some people the answer is I want to spend time listening to podcasts, then uh, how do these people decide which uh, podcast to go with? Do they, is it all about the thumbnail? Is it all about what it's called? Do you have to have celebrities like yourselves in there? Or, you know, so I guess there's a lot to learn about consumer, you know, who you're trying to convince, who you're trying to hook up with, as you say, before you can get to uh, what you want to do. And I would say that's maybe 80% is about understanding all these things. And then it'll just be self-evident based on what you know. So at the end of the day, you were trying not to be a researcher in the economics field, but you ended up being an a researcher yeah. in, in a marketing I, role. I would say better paid researcher. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess a, a lot a lot of my work is uh, research. And we do have like research departments in my company. And I partner with like these re- research departments. And they're all the master. They're, they're the real researchers. What, what I do is I just fill up a form that says, what is your question? And they answer it. Right? Okay. <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm I spend time on research, but I'm not the actual researcher in the company. I'm not an expert. I guess as you said, you're kind of caught in between all the uh, all like different sides of all different sides of, of, the, of the product, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's let's change gears a little bit. You know, we've talked about what you like about your job. We've talked about surprising things you've learned, interesting things. Maybe let's talk about what you don't like so much, what you'd like to change and mm-hmm. what you'd like to improve. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, for, uh, so, our, for our listeners, what, mm. what are things they need to be, to be aware of, you know, if they want to go down this career path? Okay, well, first of all, there are a lot of other jobs that pay well and that <laughs> uh, you don't have to spend your whole life in front of your computer. There are jobs that give you that kind of value of like getting the compensation you need for your life. Uh, while not spending a lot of time. Marketing, from what I've seen, is kind of a long hours kind of job. For most people, it's kind of a long hours kind of job. So if you're not into that, I I would say there are other jobs that uh, have more normal hours, especially if you're in a global marketing role. There's a lot of weird hours because of different time zones, right? So you would have to have some sort of flexibility from a lifestyle point of view. So, um, yeah, I think that's one, one drawback is that if you really want to make money, if that's your thing, then uh, you should go to finance or consulting. That's, that's, uh, that's, the way. that's where the money is at. But you know, marketing, you know, it, it's kind of a steady kind of career that, that is sort of a moderate kind of point. And the other thing about marketing is there's a lot of uh, adaptability that's required because things change very quickly. When I started my career, we would only do TV commercials. There were very little like uh, social media stuff and Twitter and all that stuff didn't exist. So I've kind of had to learn um, how to do marketing, kind of relearn every three, four years because the world changes. So that's a lot of that's a lot of stress to keep having to learn a lot of a, a lot of things. And you do feel like every three, four years, you feel like a dinosaur who doesn't know anything about the modern uh, world, kind of like a caveman who doesn't have a TikTok account. <laughs> so, <laughs> What's your TikTok account? <laughs> I don't have one. I should really. <laughs> but yeah, that like right now I'm feeling a bit insecure that I don't know exactly how TikTok works. Um, and so every three, four years, you'd have to go through that thing. Yeah, but I guess not many, not many 
sort of bad things about it. I quite like it, I'd say is why. Oh, I, I guess one more thing is, as I said, you'd end up doing kind of the same thing from, you know, when you're young to when you're like a big shot at the company, you're still going to be doing the exact same things. <laughs> Anything unexpected that happened that you were not expecting when you joined the company? Unexpected things. Yeah, this is kind of like a standardized question that we have for everybody that comes on. Unexpected things. I didn't know what I was expecting. I was like 20 years old when I joined this company. I'm 34. So I don't remember what I was expecting uh, before I joined this company. I kind of just grew up in this company and, and so nothing surprises me. But when I stepped out of the company for a year, I was a bit surprised about how things worked in, in, in other companies. Then I started to realize that, okay, maybe the things I've gotten used to are not so normal. In this company, at least, I wouldn't say it's a marketing thing, but in this company, at least, we're very casual and it's, it, you manage your time sort of independently. You don't have to be at the office a certain time. You, you, you can work from the gym, you can work from the beach, whatever, you know, <laughs> they don't really care. You can wear whatever you want. So when I stepped out of the company, I thought that all the companies were like that, but they're actually not. <laughs> you know, I had to wear like business attire and, and this one company I was in and uh, in this other company I had to be there a certain time and, you know. So yeah, I, I guess... I guess what I'm saying is I don't remember for all like what's weird now. <laughs> it's been <Yeah>. too long. <laughs> and also you weren't planning to become a marketer in the first place, right? I, so that's, I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a final question before we close off here. Was COVID good or bad for your industry and your job? Uh, about COVID, it's a mixed bag. Uh, it's because my company, we, we sell a lot of things from ice cream to moisturizers. So it, COVID, the way COVID's affected those different types types of things or categories, what we call them, uh, is very different. So, for example, soaps is suddenly crazy good because everyone is now washing their hands a lot more, like I would say five times more than, than they used to. It's been pretty okay for things that people really need, like brushing their teeth, shampoo, that sort of thing. Toilet paper. Toilet paper is pretty good for toilet paper, eh? I don't know. We don't tell that, but uh, <laughs> I hear, I from what I can see, they're making a ton of money. Having toilet a good paper. time. <laughs> Having a good time, yeah. Um, yeah, so, there and there are some things that uh, are affected by, not the virus, but more the recession and the sort of economic slowdown that's come with this uh, virus. Uh, and now people are more discerning about what they spend on. So I would say... Things that they've always thought were luxuries like skincare are now being reevaluated re by consumers. And some people are thinking, oh, I don't really super need that. I mean, I mean, I could do without it. So in those types of things, uh, we've had a very bad sort of couple of, well, a year and a half now. Yeah, so it's good that we're selling a lot of things. So then it all kind of averages out and uh, things are pretty okay. All right. All right, Jam. Thanks for being part of this podcast. Thanks was, for having me. It was lovely talking to you. Yeah, thanks. This and was learning fun. a bit more about people. <laughs> right. Okay. All right, that was great having you. Thanks so much uh, and all the best. Thanks, guys. Before we go, as usual, we're going to have a quick recap. A quick recap. What does that mean? Oh, you're going to hear it. Quick, quick, quick recap. Today, I learned how important it is to discuss directly to people 
and have their point of view on whatever you're selling and mm-hmm. whatever you want to sell yep. and on all the things that you would like to change about it. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think for me, my, my key takeaway from this is, you know, whether you're local or global, people are generally the same and you find more differences across income than you do across culture. Mm, yeah, like, like look, look at us. We're all from different countries, but conversations flowing, everything's great, right? We, we seem to have a lot in common. That's just, you know, everywhere. Although I don't particularly like Jollibee, but that's a different... <laughs> I do like the fried yeah, chicken. You'd be but... surprised some Filipinos don't like Jollibee. Oh, is that? Is yeah. that so? <laughs> really? I've never heard of that. Thanks for listening to Work It. For more information on behind-the-scenes images, take a look at our website, workit.stream. This podcast was created by Francesco Azola and Karina Arianto. Hosted by Francesco Azola and Nala Natrajan. Recorded in sunny Singapore. Music by Justin Arianto. Special thanks to Jem for joining us today. We'll see you next time with another reason why every role kills it. The jobs you thought you knew and the people who do them.